and let us prepare our hearts for our prayer of illumination. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson comes to us today from the book of the prophet Zephaniah, reading the seventh verse of the first chapter and continuing to uh, read verses 12 to 18. Listen for God's special word to you. Be silent before the sovereign God. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses, but not live in them. They will plant vineyards, but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there that day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust, and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Don't you ever wish some of those prophets would tell you how they really feel? <laughs> Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Everyone has a limit to how much risk they can handle before calling it quits. For some, that threshold is higher than others. But there are some things in life you will not be able to experience without some amount of risk. When you come to church, you risk being challenged by God to change in some sort of way. And change is generally not an easy thing. When you go to the gym, you risk coming home sore and tired. I promise you this from personal experience. When you strike up a friendship, you risk perhaps one day losing that friend. As I found out recently, if you open your door to a hungry stray kitten, you risk your spouse falling in love with said kitten and having another cat added to the family menagerie. But if you don't risk coming to church and being challenged to become someone new, and different. You'll miss out on the community and the love that we experience here. You'll miss out on meeting God in corporate worship, on growing and changing into who it is that God truly designed you to be, which is someone pretty incredible for the record. If you don't risk the pain and exhaustion of going to the gym, you will miss out on the vast health benefits of keeping your body moving. If you don't risk someday losing the new friend you are making today, you'll never have the experience of the joy and adventure that friendship can add to your life. If you never open the door to someone in need, human, cat, or otherwise, you'll miss out on opportunities to share God's love with others, 
to care for creation like we are called to do in the very beginning chapters of Genesis, not to mention missing out on the chance to be accused of being a crazy cat lady. Everything worth having in life has some amount of risk attached to it. And in today's parable, two of the servants realize that, overcome any anxiety about the risk involved in investing this money they are entrusted, and it winds off or winds up paying off for them in a big way. They double the money that they are entrusted with. If any of you have ever invested before, you know how difficult it can be and how long of a process it can be to double any amount of money. The third servant, however, is paralyzed by his fear. The risk is too great. Now, we tend to picture these talents as being a few coins that they are given, but that is grossly understating how much money this actually was. See, we, we tend to think of those talents as little silver coins, something similar to this quarter, which you can probably hardly even see if you're toward the back. But a talent would not have looked like this quarter. It would have looked more like this. <laughs> this is a two-pooed kettlebell that my coach let me borrow. <laughs> you are welcome to take a look at that after church and try to lift it. Just please don't throw your back out or drop it through the floor. A kettlebell is a piece of gym equipment that is usually used for swinging or lifting overhead. And it's really just a big, heavy metal ball with a handle on it, as you can see. Um, and for some reason, kettlebells are measured in this esoteric Russian measurement called a pood, which is equal to around 36 pounds. So this kettlebell weighs about 73 pounds or so. Um, for perspective on how heavy this stupid thing is, I don't think Tim even uses one this heavy. Um, the one I swing is half this weight. I could barely carry this one in from the car this morning. A talent would have weighed about this much. It would have been about 75 or 80 pounds. And it was not a coin. It wasn't a coin like this quarter. It was a weight that looked an awful lot like this that was used to weigh the silver. It was a big chunk of metal that had a handle on it to carry it. So when this passage talks about talents, it's not talking about little silver coins, but about 80 pounds of silver. Don't think little silver coin, think giant heavy kettlebell worth of silver. A talent was actually worth about 16 and a half years of work. The average American income is about $59,000. So in today's American cultural terms, a talent was about a million dollars. In other words, those servants could have retired for a very long time on the amount of money that they were given by the master, by the amount that the master entrusted to them. He didn't tell them what to do with it. They had to take what they knew about their master and figure out what to do with this massive amount of money they'd been entrusted. So imagine if your boss, just before leaving for a long trip of presumably several years or more, hands you a million dollars and just says, go use this well, and then leaves. That's what just happened here. Now two of these servants realize how much the master has trusted to them, how much trust the master has 
in them and in their abilities, and they are industrious. They are a bit risky. Those are some high stakes investments, but it pays off and they double their money. These are the guys you want managing your stocks, my friends. Now the third servant does what seems like the smart thing. Instead of risking the loss of a million dollars, he buries it. It sounds a little weird that he would bury it instead of putting it somewhere just like under a mattress or something, but imagine how big 80 pounds of silver would be. There are only so many ways that you can hide that to keep it safe from theft. But is what he does really the smart thing? He lets his fear of the assumed consequences outweigh the benefit of wise investing and taking a little bit of risk. He is so afraid of disappointing the master or suffering some sort of imagined punishment or bad circumstances that he freezes up. Just like the virgins with less oil in last week's parable, which if you missed it, the sermon is up on the church website. The one who has the least is the one who is the most fearful. And it's not that he's the one with the most to lose. It's just that he's the closest one to having nothing left. So he holds on tight to that little that he has left, even though what he has is still a ton of money. This parable is often read as being about our talents, as in the things that we are good at. The name and the type of the monetary measurement kind of confuses us and throws us off track here. But that is not at all what this parable is about. I mean, use your gifts. Those are certainly an important part of being God's workers in the world. It's just that that is not remotely all that Jesus is saying here. This is not just about dusting off the oboe you used to play in high school so you can play it at church. Now, if you play the oboe, by all means, let us know. We are happy to let you play the oboe here in church. But Jesus is asking us to be willing to risk so much more than an imperfect performance at church. This parable is located right in the middle of talk about the kingdom of God, of heaven coming to earth, and about Jesus' return and redemption. Matthew is a very purposeful author who does not just toss things together willy-nilly. These parables, this is number three of four, are talking about how we use our time while we are here on earth, awaiting what is next. These parables are about fear, they're about preparation, they're about jumping into God's work of redeeming the world with both feet. While we are here on earth, awaiting what's next, how are we using what God has given us? Not just our abilities, not just our finances, but everything. How are we investing the good news of God's love and grace in Jesus Christ in the world around us? It's risky. We have to risk being teased or looked at funny. We have to risk striking up new relationships with the people and groups around us. We have to risk losing our attachment to what we used to do. We have to risk changing the way we think about things. We have to risk our time, our effort, sometimes even our idea of what church should or shouldn't look like. Without risk, there is no adventure. There is no growth. There is no new life. 
Jesus said that he came so that we might have life to the full, the lifiest life possible, the whole thing, all the adventure and fullness and abundance that we can imagine and then more. But we might have to overcome our fear and risk a little bit to get there. That is what this passage is about. It's not as much about what we do with what we have, but about the trust in God that we are to have in setting aside our fear and stepping out to do the work of the gospel in the world. This passage is about heaven and earth and redemption more than stewardship and resources use. It certainly affects how we use what we have, but it's really about resisting fear when we feel like we're running low. And small churches, dear friends, as you all know, are closer to having nothing left than the large ones are. But that doesn't mean we don't have something precious and valuable to invest in the world around us. And it certainly does not mean that we can just bury what we do have and call it a day until the master returns. We are called to make an account of what we did while we were here. The master does not want to hear that the gift of the gospel was buried under the status quo because that was the safe thing to do. Over at St. Andrews, we have six new members being received next week for a church that size. That is huge. And while we were sitting around the table at our new members class a couple of weeks ago, I asked them each to tell me what brought them there. And each and every last one of them said that they were there because someone, either a friend or a family member, invited them and encouraged them to come and told them what a beautiful community it was. Now, I'm pretty cool. There's no denying that. But you're the ones who have to be willing to step out on limbs and encourage loved ones and friends and neighbors and everyone else to join us here through your hospitality and your love, to keep praying for those who keep insisting that church is not for them, to keep loving the unlovable people around you, to keep telling people how awesome this family here is. Because this congregation, dear ones, is a million dollars worth of silver. Don't bury that. We have more than enough if we just invest it wisely. And the master honors those who take whatever they are given and find ways to create new life out of it and to spread the light of the gospel in the world. Amen.